welcome to the Student Affairs Nerds Podcast. We're a group of student affairs professionals, cool to some and nerdy to others. We gather together to bring you this podcast designed to elevate the genius ideas and initiatives of educators across higher education who support student achievement and success. Our panel of insightful friends and guests will highlight creative pivots, best practices, and unique services that touch the lives of students and serve campuses. Your nerdy hosts are Dr. Jamie Hoffman, Mr. Solomon Matthews, Dr. James McGee, and Mr. Dustin Ramsdell. We hope that you will enjoy this exciting addition to the Higher Ed Geek family of podcasts. We are here. Uh, it is March 2021. I feel like we have to keep kind of like uh, putting a little bit of a timestamp since uh, things are always changing. But uh, this time of year is typically always a job searching uh, time of year, whether folks are graduating from programs or uh, just heading to the end of an academic year, looking to what's ahead. Uh, felt like a good time to uh, talk through things a little bit more just generally of like job searching tips from I know we have a really diverse set of experiences and things here, so uh, really excited to dig in. So uh, we have sets of questions. We'll go through everybody as we always do. We'll just have a good conversation. Uh, and we will start just obviously, you know, why someone maybe be would be beginning a job search is that uh, if you're in a position, you're determining, you know, okay, maybe it's time to go. There's some sort of push or pull kind of factor going on there. Um, so we're starting with that. How do you determine when it is time to go, when it is time to get a job search started? Um, for me, um, I am now, uh, this May will be uh, seven years uh, working professionally. I've done a couple of job searches in that time. Um, and for me, I've always kind of averaged around two years in a position. Um, and that feels when it's like that kind of time you're starting to reflect, figure out uh, what might be next, either in the current position or current organization you're in, uh, or if it's time to move on. Um, and, you know, for me, it's been those times when I can't really figure out a path forward, uh, you know, more toward what I'm looking for. Uh, sometimes I've been actively trying to uh, figure out promotions, lateral moves or uh, different things like that. That's not been working um, or there's just literally no opportunities that exist at uh, institutions, which I know is uh, sometimes a common occurrence for uh, college and universities and everything. But I don't know. And sometimes it's just that emotional piece. If you're feeling like your heart isn't in it, like the bad parts outweigh the good, you've kind of, I guess, lost uh, some patience with uh, those pieces. If it's like, you know, recurrent things that you uh, have to do. And then honestly, I was thinking too about like compensation. Sometimes that's just a driver that people uh, are able to kind of uh, be more gainfully employed by, you know, being able to move up by moving on and those sort of things, which just is kind of an unfortunate reality. So uh, for me, those are all the kind of things that sort of swirl around or, you know, and have uh, kind of always been on my mind as I begin job searches. But um, yeah, we'll go to someone next for, for this one. So um, yeah, how do you determine when it might be time to kind of uh, start a job search and uh, time to move on from a position? So I definitely agree with you when you mentioned, um, you know, compensation as being a factor as well as, um, seeing a clear path to move up. But one of the things that um, I can't remember if it was a faculty member or an advisor who told me this, but they broke up like the first three years of, um, you know, a new job in phases. They said year one is the year that you're learning the role, you're getting your 
you know, your bearings. Um, year two might be like the year that you try new things. Um, and I also think about that year two, right, expanding over multiple years. Like you might want to try a bunch of different things in this position, but you can only do so much in a year. So you might have a few years where you're just trying new things, um, building new skill sets. Um, and then that last year or like towards the end, or maybe I should have said phases, you know, because then it doesn't mm-hmm. uh, time tap it. Uh, but that last year is more of the like mastery year when you know, like, okay, I think I have a good handle on this position. Maybe it's time for me to either ask for new responsibilities within my role or um, start exploring opportunities, maybe, um, you know, progressing to a new role or like you said even outside of the department that you're currently in and so I definitely don't um, hold those uh, to be true in terms of like the particular year like I don't think anything can you know necessarily be finite in like just that one year of time but um, I, I like to think of it like okay this first year or two I'm learning the second or third year, I'm, you know, trying new things that I'm, I've been, you know, waiting to try. Um, and then once I'm feeling like I've learned as much as I can learn, um, then I think it's time for me to move on. But for me personally, it, it actually hasn't happened that way. It's been um, like these out of the blue opportunities that um, kind of snap you out of what you're doing and make you think and reassess like, uh, what it is that you're looking for in the moment and in your position and and kind of going from there. So that's been my experience kind of, and I'm still only in my first four years of, of, of my career. So it's been interesting for sure. I can't wait to hear what um, Jamie has to say on this. So I'm going to pass it on over. This is definitely uh, an interesting topic, I think. And it, it is interesting because I think each of us does do have our own lenses on it. So I I want to say that, first of all, the time that you shouldn't really leave or look to leave is when you're super desperate. I mean, obviously, if you need to, you need to, and you're super um, sad or frustrated, etc. But I would encourage folks to, to really be thinking about this pathway and opportunities before they reach a point that they just need to go because that's when they tend to make decisions that that may be out of desperation that aren't necessarily going to land them in something that's the best fit. I do know that I've made that um, mistake myself and so I've really tried to to work on that and t- to really think ahead about what I want my my steps to be. The other thing that has been a big lesson for me is, and I, I think early on in my career, I did this more so, but it's important to kind of craft out what you think your tr- career trajectory might be and where you might want to go. But don't get so stuck on that, that you become blind to great opportunities that may come your way. Um, I know even for me, I have had experiences where I've hemmed and hawed over a really amazing opportunity, like a big, huge, wide door open in front of me. And all I need to do is step through it. But I'm like, well, I'm not sure because I was going to stay in student affairs forever. Should I really take this faculty role or whatever it is, right? So I think sometimes we build our identity so closely around this career path that we craft that we miss Uh, potentially really great um, pivots or other opportunities we can make. 
So um, I'd then also say that we have to make sure we don't let fear stop us, fear of change. We often will get comfortable in a role and we're missing signs of like, I'm actually really not passionate about this. So like Dustin mentioned this, like if your heart's not in it, you think you can, you can get comfortable in an organization or, or a university for a variety of reasons. You love the students or I don't, I don't make the list. And so it's that comfort that has you stay when in reality, there could be things that are clear elements that make it not a good fit for you anymore. Perhaps it's that you're taking the job home with you, quote unquote, because many of us are working fully home now. But like, are are you stressed out about your job after you're done working to the point where it's really affecting your you know, ability to function as a human. Certainly there's an ebb and a flow to, to jobs. I mean, I, I don't think that there's any perfect job. And in every job I've had, I've had like periods of time where I'm like, okay, I should probably really kick up the search right now. And then things go back uh, to really being satisfactory and, and even more so they turn to be great. So I think it's important recognizing is this an ebb and a flow or is like it really flowing downhill and it's taking over my life? Um, also, and I have a lot of thoughts on the time to go parts so and not as much on the next two questions. So, uh, so, you know, I would say don't, don't let fear stop you. Um, I encourage you to stay at least two years in a position if you can, but not to your own um, mental health demise. And uh, I personally, I am always looking I always just keep my eye out to see what's there, especially later on in my career. And I think that's because I realized er earlier on that I was missing out things that could have been a different career path for me. And last, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge the fact that it's a bit of a point of privilege for us to get to say, when is when do you choose is your time to go? Because there are so many people who have to stay in their role for one way or another or or one reason or another, or they've been removed from their role for one reason or another, which we'll talk about later. So mm -hmm. I feel honored to be in the position of, you know, is it time to go and really thinking about that and giving this advice, but acknowledge not everybody's in that space. So lots of different thoughts on the when to go part, and I will now pass it over and I'll, I'd love to hear James, what's your thoughts on that? You know, I think Solomon's phases make make some good points about when is it time to go? Um, I think about this in terms of when do I no longer feel challenged with what I'm trying to accomplish? When, when I get up in the morning, do I feel like I have nothing left to offer? Um, if I've done everything that the agency allows me to do, um, that, that I have the agency to do myself in the institution, then perhaps it's not the right place for me at the time um, or it's not the right role. And so I think it's important to feel like you are experiencing mastery, not just that you are um, showing up and doing some things and doing tasks, but is the right balance of relationship and task oriented things that make you feel like you're accomplishing what you want to accomplish in your role. And when that's not the case, then it, it's time to begin to look for something else. I think another thing that I think about when I think about when it's time to go is, is in the two roles that I've been in, I was, my first role out of graduate school was, I was in for four years. You know, I, I decided at that point to begin to look for a job, um, not because I was unhappy at the place, but I had nothing left to offer 
within the confines of the role that had been defined for me. And the second role I've been in for 15 years, and I have continually been lucky and privileged, as you said, to find ways to transition from one role to another and grow. And so as long as you are growing, then sometimes it feels right to stay in the position longer. But if it doesn't feel right, it's also okay to leave. Noting all the things that you said, Jamie, about not being afraid to move when it's time, but most importantly, to make sure you're not running away from something and that you are making a calculated decision about your future. And so I think the most important thing for me is that gut check to say, where am I at? Where is my mental health at? Um, Recognizing that we are not our positions. I'm going to talk probably a little bit more about that in a little bit later, but we are not our positions. Our positions are part of our lives, but they are not our lives. And so we can't decide on a job based solely on job fit. Um, it's got to be life fit. And so I'll talk a little bit about some of that later. Um, so I'm going to pass it back to Dustin to move us along. Hmm. Yeah. A lot of great stuff. And I mean, yeah, congrats on 15 years. It's very impressive. And I feel like, uh, I mean, unfortunately, probably the exception uh, for a lot of folks uh, nowadays, but um, that is the idea. Like if if you can be at a home, uh, you know, professional home that allows for that sort of longevity and continuity and growth and everything, that that certainly is the goal. But yeah, I mean, I'm just hearing a lot about sort of, you know, staying open to opportunity, um, exacting some control uh, when you can. And um, yeah, I mean, because it it makes me think, though, too, of like I've, I've known, especially some entry level like res life positions, sometimes like they put a limit for how long you can be there. And that obviously gives you some uh, structure to plan around and, you know, maybe, yeah, like do these phases of sort of like, you know, where am I at? Where am I going? And if you're sort of setting goals originally, uh, when you start the position and you've hit all your goals, then that's kind of helping know like, okay, well, I've, you know, accomplished everything that I want to, maybe it's time to move on. Or, uh, I know for me, sometimes it's been where it's like, uh, you know, if you work in something like orientation, the students that you first onboarded in your first year, they're all graduated as kind of like, okay, that feels like a natural bookend. Maybe it's time to start thinking about what's next. Cause we really kind of made sure the students got through uh, all the way to the finish line. But, um, so yeah, a lot of things to, to think about. I think, um, yeah, some really, really good advice there. So I appreciate everybody sharing all that. Uh, but so yeah, so let's say, you know, you've determined it is time to be starting a job search. Uh, so you're underway with that. You're looking for positions, examining if you think that they're going to be a good fit. Um, so how do you determine that? Uh, for me, I think that it gets uh, easier as you go on. You have more jobs, you have more supervisors, you have more teammates, and you work in more places. So you kind of Goldilocks your way through to kind of figure out exactly what it is that you want uh, as you move forward in your career. But I think you just really need to know about the professional culture. Be really specific when you ask questions during interviews. And, uh, you know, if you know people that have worked there or do work there, um, really trying to be more pointed uh, with questions other than just sort of like, what's it like to work there? Or like, do you like it or something? It's like, you'd want to know, you know, certain things such as, you know, for me, it's like, what's the level of autonomy that you're going to have the independence and sort of like, you know, respect or empowerment to, you know, do the work that you need to do in the way that's going to be uh, best for you, like the style of supervision of who your manager is, uh, and just knowing again, just really what we were talking a lot about in the first question of like, will there be opportunities for growth and advancement and learning? You know, what kind of funding do you have for professional development that we talked a lot about in the uh, in the previous episode? Um, 
and then, yeah, like, is it an organization or an institution or anything that is uh, growing? Do you see that there are a lot of people who uh, move up or are able to kind of move around as they um, have a firmer focus of the type of experience that they want? So um, those are kind of things that I think are important to ask, you know, specific questions about and really try to determine uh, so you have a good idea of like, is, is this kind of culture, this kind of organization what I want to uh, working because I think you know typically it's easier uh, like you're saying James to like know like okay I can see the duties of this job this feels right but then there's kind of all of those sort of surrounding factors uh, that go into determining a good fit so I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more about uh, things that are top of mind for folks uh, here so uh, we will go around the horn again Solomon if you want to uh, take this one next uh, we will go from there absolutely and I have to say I love that Goldilocks reference because I do feel like you know a as you go each year, you do find the the system that works for you to find that kind of just right opportunity. But when I think about fit, I think about a few different elements. The first um, being the job description. Um, it's not very often that I apply for jobs that I don't feel qualified for. So that sense of confidence that comes from reading what they're looking for and me feeling that I'm a good fit for that opportunity is so important to me. Um, I think I have considered jobs that, you know, I wasn't qualified for to the T, but um, I have to have some kind of confidence in what I bring to that position um, to even begin the application. So I definitely, you know, do my due justice of like reading through, um, trying to even read in between the lines of like what certain things could mean. Um, and so I, I think that's, you know, the first element that's important for me. Um, secondly, is if I have access to learn more about the team culture, I think how the team, like the immediate team, right? So not like the larger um, division, but like the set of people that I'm going to be working with day in and day out, what's the culture there? What is the expectation for work-life balance? All of these other things that play into our day-to-day -day work really is important for me in terms of fit before I say, yes, I'm going to stay here and stay here for some years, right? I want to make sure that it's a place that will allow me to maintain a healthy balance of, you know, both work and my personal interests um, and also an environment that doesn't um, lean itself to really pushing yourself beyond your, like, your limits in a negative way, right? Of course, I want to be pushed to like succeed and reach new skills and reach new goals. And, uh, but I don't want to be stressed out. I don't want to be working, burning the midnight oil or working on weekends. So that fit is also very important to me. And that's not something that you find in the job description. It takes a little bit of digging. And then, um, you know, kind of going from there, the divisional culture or organizational culture is also really important to me because that informs how we are expected to talk about current events in the workplace and what's happening in our nation and how it's impacting our students. And uh, sometimes that fit uh, can really, really impact, you know, you like, and it's interesting because it's not so much of an impact of the day-to-day -day duties, but it's in these really difficult moments that we experience, um, you know, when we see tragic things happen in the country that you find, oh, I really don't have that space or there's no one modeling these conversations for me in this, you know, in this division. And so I think that has kind of been a new uh, lens that I'm looking for in determining fit. 
moving forward, I don't know how I'm going to gauge that or find out, but I think it's going to definitely require, um, you know, some self-motivation, some research, maybe reaching out to folks in similar positions before um, going in for an interview and, and really just seeing what information you can get your hands on um, about that position. So uh, those are some of the things that I think about in determining uh, fit. I'm going to go ahead and pass it on over to Jamie. All right. I'm, I'll share my thoughts, but I do want to comment on something that you said, Solomon. And that's that um, as someone that's been a hiring manager for a lot of searches, I've been learning recently that typically um, folks from historically marginalized backgrounds or women will n- not apply for a job if they don't feel qualified versus white men will tend to just throw their name in the hat regardless. So it's an interesting, you know, variable there as far as, you know, maybe, maybe we want to push ourselves to see the potential in a position from the job description, but not make the decision on your own capability until you really have learned uh, more about it and or let the hiring manager make that decision. Because I think what we're seeing in the research anyway is people are counting themselves out before really getting the chance uh, to be considered. And as hiring managers, we've been looking at, you know, really trying to make sure that you make the requirements for a job shorter so that it doesn't look super intimidating to folks that normally would be in these buckets and would say, no, 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 I don't qualify. So we're, we're really working on being strategic about what we do put on there for that reason. So anyway, that was <laughs> kind of something to think about. No, thanks for sharing that, Jamie. As for me, I think the best time to really think about what the fit is for a job is in your current job. I think that's the time that you should really be doing self-discovery and understanding what your non-negotiables are and what are the things that you do really enjoy that you would like to have in a position. Uh, I think we, we will often spend time on the back end when you are job searching doing all of that. But if you really sit in your current day-to-day work and say, okay, how do I want to spend my day? At the end of a day of work, do I feel like I've really generated energy from my work? Or what parts of what I did today really made me feel satisfied? And what are the parts that were really not as satisfying or even frustrating? And I found that having a professional coach walk you through these kinds of things is really helpful. I did that recently myself to just start thinking about like, what would that next step look like? And she didn't coach me through like, here's what the position would be. But it was more like, here are the variables that would look make a position look like a good fit for you. And, and what that is, what that does include for me are things like, how do I spend my days? And, you know, my background is, is different because I, I ended up in a position that I thought was, uh, I had put it on a pedestal. That was uh, actually, ironically, how I met Solomon and James. I was a full-time faculty member. And since I got my master's in student affairs, I thought that is a dream job. And then when I was offered the position at USC, I just, I mean, I was a first, I am a first generation college student and it was just totally unbelievable to me. And I was so thrilled to have it. And, um, 
what I didn't expect was just that, I mean, I didn't really ask faculty, so how do you spend your days? And the reality was faculty members, or at least, you know, how, how my role was, I guess I can't speak for all, but you spend a lot of time on your own reading and grading. And I like those activities, but the predominance of time spent doing that really didn't outweigh in the end the joy that I actually derived from obviously working with students like like Solomon and James, but also just like being in meetings and strategizing on best practices and the like. I, I was on some meetings as a faculty member, but but not a ton. So um, so that's that's an important thing. How what how do you want to spend your days? Also like what do you want your days to look like? Do you really want to be stuck in an, an office from nine to five. That was a big reason why I made a career pivot myself um, out of student affairs because I had my first uh, daughter and and there wasn't at the time flexibility with my role, even though the students I worked with were mostly active in the evenings. So there wasn't just time flexibility given there. So you need to think about that component. Certainly the culture is important. Uh, I like to be able to make sure that I'm somewhere that is an innovative space. I like to be able to feel like I can practice radical candor where I can give caring, direct feedback about a project or even about people and know that it's coming from a good place because we're all driving toward excellence. And that's not always something that I have experienced being a welcome thing, especially at universities. Um, and I, I was recently recruited for a job. And I actually asked the political leaning of the company. And that's kind of to go back to what Solomon was talking about. Like, I, I have to work some, somewhere that really does believe in diversity, equity, inclusion, and puts active, you know, efforts toward achieving that. Um, also, I personally want to work remotely, so that's a thing. Um, my ideal scenario would be to be remote with two days a week in an office because I do like that physical connection, but uh, that's not <laughs> currently the status of my role, and that's okay. Um, and Dustin mentioned this, but supervisor's number one to me. Uh, same thing about recently, the different job I was recruited for, I spent five minutes into the interview with the hiring manager and immediately knew that that was not going to be a fit for me. So we have to prioritize that because as much as they're interviewing us for a fit, we're interviewing them and I need to feel like I'm going to be, you know, supported, empowered, et cetera, to be able to be my best. But also, and this was kind of what I, you know, I took from the interview. Like I want to feel like they appreciate the fact that we bring our whole person to work so there is a very, very, very serious tone to the interview. And I thought, no, I mean, I like to laugh. So anyway, those are those are my thoughts on um, deciding fit. And I think folks should really invest in doing that before they even really start a search. So James, what do you think? Yeah, so I think you folks have done a really good job of sort of talking about the position specifically. So I'm going to take a little bit of a different turn. Um I think it's important not to get enamored with a job description until you understand the community you'd be living in. Um, a job can be a great thing. It can be great and challenging, but 
is that the community that you want to live in? So job, like I said, has to be part of our entire lives. They can't be our whole lives. Um, and I say that because I have um, spent a lot of time with therapists learning not to make my job my entire life. Um, and so I'm trying to give our, our listeners the benefit of the many years of work that I have done on my own self to say, when I'm looking for the next position that I feel, it has to be in a place that I want to be in, that I can build a life that excites me, not just in a job that excites me, but when I leave work, am I going to be excited about that place? So if you're someone who thrives in the city, then perhaps a rural area is not for you. If you're someone who enjoys a rural area, then perhaps the city is not where you want to be, even if the position that you're looking for is really incredible. Um, and so Perhaps those those are. I mean, I think it goes back to some of the non-negotiables that you were talking about, Jamie, about things that people are willing to give up and not willing to give up. And and I think it was really good advice to say you have to do that work before you apply. Um, you want to be in the job process, giving your whole self to the interview process and learning about the organization and all the ways that you all talked about. But also you want to learn about where you're at. Um what do the people who live in that area, not just at the institution, but what do they value? Are you going to feel safe there? Um, are you going to feel welcomed and loved there? Right? Like, are you, do you have people in the area that you already know? Um, or are you up for an exciting adventure? And it can be a great adventure to go off and do those things. So I think you have to look at your whole life um, and make sure that the position fits in your life, not that you fit your life into the position. And I think that turn of phrase is really important for student affairs professionals, particularly because we so often, and I see my colleagues do it and I saw myself do it for years, pour ourselves into our work at the expense of our own mental health. Um, and I think we need to be very, very cognizant um, of what we're also modeling for our students and modeling for our staffs. Um, as, as a hiring person, as someone who has a staff, I have to be modeling good behavior for them. And that means giving everything I've got, but not giving all that I have and all that I am to the position. Um, and so I think it's important as you begin to look to really look at the fit of the position in your life, not just your, yourself in the position. I think the advice you all gave about how to determine what that fit is for a position is incredible, but I just wanted to add that little piece there. And so I'm going to turn it back over to Dustin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, uh... All really good stuff to consider. I feel like we gave a really good 360 view on uh, how to make sure that you're, you know, going into any uh, offer that you might get for a position with like uh, the most information that you can have to know that it's going to be a good fit for your, your, you know, kind of career aspirations and your life. And uh, I think, yeah, it's just, it makes me think that it really just got in my head recently is like just so much, especially in American society, we equate our value with our economic uh, output and everything. So it's just like our job is our identity. It's our life. It, it goes before all else and all that. And, you know, I think there's a little bit more awareness of that, a little bit more uh, kind of erosion of that, thankfully. And uh, it does seem unfortunately quite uh, prevalent in this helping profession that, uh, you know, folks really uh, give it their all because that is just uh, can be fulfilling and nurturing in its own way. But uh, can also have some uh, harmful side effects for sure. So um, yeah, all, all really good stuff. I, I love uh, yeah all, all that we shared, but uh, certainly people are operating in this space over the last year, uh, experiencing furloughs, experiencing uh, job loss. Uh, that's totally outside of their control and not what they expected. 
and certainly, you know, a lot of what we covered, hopefully you're, uh, you know, thinking through a lot before something like that might happen uh, about what is going to be a good fit for you, having that on, uh, you know, on your mind and uh, everything. So you're a little bit more prepared, but I'm just curious advice that everybody has for anyone who may uh, be experiencing or have experienced uh, furlough or, and or uh, job loss. So, uh, you know, advice for me is that like, you know, again, it, you really should be hopefully building that career resiliency uh, as much as you can before these things happen. Um, you know, again, and I think I'm going to keep citing our professional development episode because uh, there are a lot of strategies that we use uh, to learn and grow, uh, you know, to keep ourselves sharp. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it really is just coming down to learn, network and, you know, uh, build all that up before you uh, need it. And, you know, if you haven't started doing those things, uh, the next best time to start is now. Um, and I know in terms of building that network, you know, using something like LinkedIn or just reaching out to people through kind of degrees of separation, you know, people in higher ed just always tend to be really generous with their time. Uh, so, you know, I've always had really good luck with that. And, you know, I'm always happy to try to connect people uh, as much as I'm able uh, in these sort of situations. But yeah, for me, it's learn, network, and uh, try to start as early as you can uh, so that uh, any of these transitions are as smooth as possible. So um, yeah, we'll kick it over to you, Solomon. Uh, what advice might you give? Yes. Yeah, so I don't know if I have uh, that much career advice here. I think I'm going to approach this from like a general life perspective. I think about layoffs and furloughs being something that's really out of our control of what we can do to prevent that from happening once we're already in a position. So for me, I would kind of take that as a moment to really just reassess, regroup, see if there are other career interests that I want to pursue. If I want to stay in the field and pursue another job opportunity that's in alignment with the position that I might have been laid off or furloughed from, I would certainly do that. But on the flip side, I would absolutely entertain the idea of, hey, maybe this is a moment for me or a wake up call or, you know, just one of those life experiences that just snap you out of your normal routine and present you with now a new opportunity to forge a new path. And so I think it's definitely a little optimistic, uh, but that's just my nature. So um, I think that's the best advice that I could give and would probably give to any of my uh, grad students who might have come to me in a similar situation. Um, I would just kind of help them really take a beat before they try to dive into, you know, all these other action plans and trying to get back into a, a position that's exactly like the one that they just left. Um, when maybe this is a chance for them to discover, you know, some new interests and career opportunities. So uh, I'm going to leave it there for now and pass it on over to Jamie again. All right. I would echo some of what you said, Solomon. Um, I will say that I have been in a position before where the timing of a career shift wasn't necessarily what I would have planned for. And, and so the advice I would give is, um, number one, just to stay positive. And I know that's easier said than done, but, you know, we've invested our career, education, et cetera, and it will pay off even if you reach moments where it really doesn't seem like it, it will. The other is reach out to your networks. Dustin, you said this, but the more transparent you can be with your trusted network or just broadly, 
the better because people can, you know, find creative ways to help you put pieces together financially until you find the best fit. Um, I, I screened candidates for a higher ed job search firm for a period of time because a friend of mine was working there and they really needed someone that really understood the higher ed spectrum. And that just gave a little bit of extra finances to kind of make me feel like I could take more time to find their best mix fit. So be open, um, especially right now. I'm seeing on LinkedIn people post and sharing each other's posts. So we're, we're here really supporting each other. I also would emphasize, you know, to look at your transferable skills and start thinking about fit. Solomon mentioned this is, you know, kind of this is could be your opportunity to, to maybe think about something different. I admittedly, you know, I'm, I'm probably not the best one to give advice on job searching within higher ed institutions right now, because I'm not entirely sure I see myself going back to a campus-based position. You know, hearing um, James talk about thinking about the town you would want to live in reminds me that it is challenging in campus-based positions that to move up or to get additional challenge, you often have to physically move. And that um, that's a real challenge for me in my, my personal life. So I don't know that I could give advice to that. And maybe James will. But what I, what I can say is that I, there's a whole world adjacent to campus-based positions that support the educational pipeline, most of it technology-based. But there's a lot of opportunities out there if folks want to make a pivot um, folks can transition to um, HR related roles, et cetera, and you can start preparing yourself for that. Of course, uh, Dustin and I work adjacent to campus based positions, and this has become a bit of a passion space of mine. And not to be super cheesy and plug it, but a friend of mine, Tom Stutter, who I met actually because he worked um, at my undergrad over 20 years ago. I'm aging myself, but um, we actually started a podcast uh, called Pivoting Out of EDU for folks if um, they're thinking about making that change out of out of campus-based positions. And we'll have higher ed folks as well as K-12. But um, those are my perspectives and happy to uh, pass it over to James and hear what you think. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I feel lucky and privileged, as you noted, Jamie, that, that I have not been in this position, particularly in, in during the pandemic, but I have had colleagues and staff who have been in that position. Um, I have seen them approach it in different ways. Uh, and so some of the, the best ways I saw them approach it was I had colleagues who had been burned out before the pandemic start, and they really took that time uh, to invest in themselves. They knew that their furlough was a finite time period. And so they took that time. One of my colleagues did and traveled across the country by car um, and avoided people and just spent some time reflecting on themselves and what they wanted to do next and how they wanted to to live their life. And I thought that was a, a unique and interesting way, spending lots of time at uh, our nation's greatest parks and not being around people and being COVID safe. But, but taking the time to really reflect when they hadn't had that time before. Um, some of my other colleague friends and staff members have really focused on, on reinvigorating what they want to do and doing some, some self-reflection on their next positions or on this position that they're in currently um, and have really come either come back with a new renewed resent of what they want to do or those who were laid off or, or their positions were eliminated um, across the country that I've talked to have, have begun to think about 
their careers in a little bit different way. So I think that's important. Um, many have looked adjacent. And I, th- I think, Jamie, that's a great point that many have looked adjacent um, to higher education. I think anytime we're looking at career change and sometimes it's planned as we were talking about when we decide to go and sometimes it's not as we're talking about furloughs and laid off. I think the principles, though the impetus is different, the principles remain largely the same, right? You're looking for what do you want to do next that brings you joy and that brings you fulfillment. And yeah, I mean, to move to a a different campus, often in higher education, you have to relocate and that has to be something you're willing to do. And I think that can also be a good challenge if you're not afraid to, to take the adventure and you really take the time to plan. And so, you know, perhaps find a role that you can fill temporarily um, to meet your immediate needs while you take the time to find what that next thing is going to be, whether that be in higher education or not in higher education. And if you're able and you have the privilege to do so, then take the time to reflect. I think Um, In higher education, we spend a lot of time at work and we don't often get the chance to pause. And so for one of my colleagues, it was really approached as a blessing that seemed like a curse at the beginning when it happened. But really for for that individual turned out to be a blessing for them and their ability to refocus and recommit to what they wanted to do with their lives. And so I think we have to approach everything with some resilience. and with, and with hope and, and think about what we want to do next. And so that wraps up my thoughts on that. And I'm going to pass it back over to Dustin. Yeah. And I'll just kind of wrap us up here. That's uh, what we wanted to cover. Um, always kind of doing the rule of threes, uh, three, I think uh, good questions. It covers a lot of ground. Uh, I mean, it came up in a lot of different contexts though. And I think it's just, if you can give yourself time going through these processes, uh, you know, it helps to make sure that you're not acting out of uh, desperation. You're acting in a way that is informed and intentional, thoughtful, um, and just doing as much prep before a search like this is either thrust upon you or you begin uh, to know exactly what you're looking for, what you want to get out of a position, uh, the lifestyle that you want, uh, the team, the supervisor, all those things. Uh, the more that you can really think to articulate that clearly and specifically, uh, it's going to benefit you uh, whenever and however uh, you start a job search. So, um, such good stuff. Appreciate everybody's time and sharing all that y'all did. Uh, and please do reach out if you have further questions, want to keep the conversation going, um, or have topics for future episodes. So uh, appreciate you all for uh, hanging out and uh, chatting about job searching and appreciate everybody for listening. Thanks for listening to the Student Affairs Nerds podcast. For more information about the show and hosts, visit our website at studentaffairsnerds.com. Follow us on Twitter or Facebook at SA Nerds Pod to get the most recent updates about our show. If you have a great idea for a show, we would love to hear it and we'd love to feature you. Send your show ideas to Podcast at gmail.com. And if you think our show is pretty great and totally nerdy, please leave us a review. 